Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode, primarily focusing on mainstreaming and socialization of children with autism. I'm speaking with Dr. Annette Nunez, the founder and director of Breakthrough Interventions. You may have even seen her on Fox News as she does many interviews on the power of positivity and autism. Stay tuned to listen to this awesome lady share her experience and advice on cultivating positive relationships through facilitated play and much more. Also, a friendly reminder that if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love for you to take just a minute to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend. That's how we make our voice stronger. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, an organization of advocates that are educating, supporting, and empowering those in our communities. We are one voice made stronger. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Dr. Annette Nunez conducts many seminars, both nationally and internationally, in addition to consulting with schools in China and South Africa on autism interventions. She's a licensed psychotherapist and has worked with children on the spectrum and other related disorders for over 20 years. She has a BA in psychology, a master's in marriage and family therapy, and a PhD in quantitative research methods with a specialization in child development. This woman is on fire. She loves working with a whole family, so much so that she created an online community called Breaking Through Autism, where she shares support and even self-care tips. We all know that every journey looks different, but it's a support system that you need to help guide, inspire, and encourage you along the way. That's what keeps everyone moving forward. I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Annette Nunez to our show today. Hi, how are you, Susan? I'm great. Thank you. You're a powerhouse of a woman in (laughs) expertise. So, (laughs) well, thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time. I know you're a busy lady. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So, I shared a little bit with everyone before I brought you in. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're the founder and director of Breakthrough Interventions, and you Mm -hmm. also have a podcast too. Um, Mm -hmm. So, behind the breakthroughs is the podcast. Yeah, behind the breakthroughs. uh-huh. And which is really great and fun. Mm-hmm. It is and fun. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, it is. You get to meet a, so many peop, different people and it's a way of connecting with others within the community. And I've met so many wonderful people through it. Um, and it's just been a great, um, a great experience. Yeah. For sure. Well, I know that we've also, uh, many of us may have even seen you on Fox News as mm-hmm. well, because you've done mm-hmm. interviews on that, not only about autism, but just the power of positivity. Yes. I'm a big believer in positivity. I practice it. I, um, with my clients, I, I encourage them to practice it. It's a big part of my practice. Um, and so I, I, I'm, it, I do really, really focus on the power of positivity. And that's so important when you're in the throes of everyday life. It's mm-hmm. a struggle. And I think life is what you make of it mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, because sometimes there are not so great days when you feel like everything's being thrown in your face at the mm-hmm. same time. And so positivity is definitely beneficial to have. But, but let's take a little step back. And I want you to share with everyone about kind of how you got started with all of this, a little bit of your, of your background. Yes. So I started when I was 18 years old. I studied at UCLA. And at the time, Dr. Ivar Lovas was teaching a course um, on autism and ABA. And he was the founder of Discrete Trial Training. 
Mm -hmm. So I did it kind of as a, um, I wanted to get into a good grad school. So I knew that if I took a class from a renowned professor, I could weasel my way in to get a fabulous letter of rec because I can, you know, I'm a people person and I can really um, become friends with professors, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of had a purpose that I wanted a letter of rec. I didn't know necessarily at the time that I was going to fall in love with autism. I wanted to really work um, and study serial killers. That was my passion at the time. So I ended up taking his course. Uh, He demonstrated um, a lot of the therapy. He would bring clients in and he would have therapists work with the kids in front of us. And I really enjoyed what I saw. And I thought he was so smart and just so bright. And this is before autism was even known. Nobody really knew about autism. The only reference I had when I said I worked with autistic children was Rain Man. Right. So this was 22 years ago, over 22 years ago. And I fell in love with it. And I took his next series of courses and I ended up um, getting trained and working at his clinic in behavioral therapy. Loved it so much that when I graduated, I continued with the work. I got my master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, and I entered in a place that specialized in floor time, which was a Stanley Greenspan model, which is the complete opposite of behavioral therapy. It's a play-based yes. therapy. Mm-hmm. So I was trained in that and I had dual training. Um, and at the time where I was interning at, I developed a program because we were seeing not only um, children with attachment disorders, but then we started seeing more and more children coming in with autism. So mm-hmm. I developed a program that integrated kind of the DIR model and floor time and our um, DIR model, the floor time model and discrete trial training. And it's kind of unheard of, but you can combine both. Um, you start off with one and then introduce the other one because I do feel that both therapies have a very, very important role in a therapeutic program, any therapeutic program. Absolutely. So um, from there, I took a break because I was in school forever and I moved to Colorado and it was just going to be a pit stop. I bartended, I was a living nanny and my next Um, stop was to go to NYU. I wanted to go to grad school at NYU. Long story short, I ended up working for a family, kind of fell in my lap of um, a family that needed an ABA therapist. And I I interviewed with them. And when I walked out of the house, it was like a sign from God. So I'm like, okay, I get it. I know what you're telling me. I'm supposed to go back into this. So I ended up staying in Colorado, um, applying to grad school at DU. Um, ended up getting my doctorate in quantitative research methods because I love research. Mm-hmm. And my research focused on play, the socialization, kids socializing um, from all ages, kids um, from the age of two all the way to middle school. And I spent 10 years working on my dissertation because I developed a children's social competence scale, which not that many people know because I don't talk about it that much. Uh-huh. But um, I developed a children's um, social competence scale that rates children on their social competency and if they're able to make friends on the playground, if they're able, you know, how do they navigate their world within play? Because the way kids socialize is through play. And it's not by talking, it's not by learning these rote questions, or it's not by learning this rote way of playing. 
kids naturally socialize through play. So I spent over 10 years observing thousands of children on different playgrounds. I was like the creepy woman on the playground just <laughs> watching kids play. And I really developed a sense of how children play from a young age all the way up to how they socialize in middle school and high school. And it's been very, very rewarding slash interesting slash how as adults, we navigate our social world as well. And so when I work with clients, you know, one of the main things is parents will say, I want my child to have friends. I want them to be able to ha be happy. And I say to them, well, how often do you play with them? And they'll say, well, my child doesn't like playing. They may like, like lining up cars or lining up blocks or, you know, scripting lines from a movie. So I, so I encourage them to utilize their interest and force play, like sabotage play. So when the kid's lining up a car, you can crash another car into their lineup. Granted, they may get upset, but at least it evokes some type of an emotion and a passion. Because the way kids also socialize through play is it brings pure enjoyment and connection. And the more yes. connection you can make, and the more um, you know, it fires up those neurons, and the more joy they have, they're going to want to play more and more and more and more and more. And they're going to want to play with different kids. They're going to want to play different games. And so I really encourage parents to start very kind of like a floor time model, like following a child's lead, but then also introducing structured play, like simple games, like don't break the ice, where there's a clear start to the game and end to the game, and it's super quick. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can really expand on the play like the ice cubes can be cold and when you touch them you can be over dramatic so it's really just being a kid and enjoying play and I think a lot of times when I'm in schools I see professionals not really enjoying play they kind of the playground is their time to rest or is their break quote-unquote exactly so I really try to, and, and I, I worked with a program called Connect Us, and they've done a very fabulous job where they bring in playground facilitators into the schools, oh, and wow. we watch for kids that are walking the perimeter of the playground, kids that are not engaged, and we take those kids, along with the kids that are playing sports, along with the kids that are playing on the jungle gym, and we focus on structured games that include everyone on the playground. So they have, you know, anywhere from three to four facilitators out on the playground, and they're playing different games with kids where everybody is included. Because since socialization is so big on the playground, it's kind of ironic how it's a break time for teachers when at that time is a teaching moment where, you know, we really should be in there getting kids to play, facilitate play. And it's not easy. I mean, I'm telling you that. It mm -hmm. isn't because you have to structure play in the beginning. But bottom line is, if your kid understands the concept of hide-and-seek or chase, that's all playground games are anyway. It's, it's a form of tag. It's a form of chase. They just bring in um, their imagination into it. But it's really just running around, hiding, or playing chase. So if you understand that concept, you have the foundation of tools to play on the playground. Wow. So that's where my passion is. You can tell I get super yes. about it. I love it. I love teaching play. I love breaking down play. A lot of people, um, a lot of professionals I find don't teach play because it's so daunting because it's so um, unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times with our kids, they like predictability. 
So what I do is I give them the foundations, like the concept of breaking down chase. What does chase mean? What does tag mean? And then bringing in other concepts. The other thing I usually do too is when I observe kids on the playground, I'll see what the kids on the playground are playing. Because some kids will play, you know, um, Star Wars chase or tag or they'll play Paw Patrol. So I see what the themes are. And then what I do is at home in our home therapy sessions, our therapists will educate our clients on what is Paw Patrol. And we will label, you know, all the characters or what is Star Wars. And we'll, you know, expose them to that so they understand the playground culture. Because a lot of times our kids don't know what's going on because we don't expose them to it. And right. a lot of times parents will say, well, my kid's not interested in it. Well, yeah, I'm sure you're not interested in a lot of things too. But if you, ex you know, I'm a runner. When I'm not running for long periods of time, it's not like I can go out and run 13 miles. You know, you have to ease up into it. You have to train. So I always tell parents, play is like training. You're going to have to expose, expose, expose. And eventually they are going to like it. Granted, they may have a fit in the beginning. But if you can just continually expose and see that play is fun, it's going, you're, it's going to entice your child and your child is eventually going to join and you're going to find something that your child loves. So I just really, really try to expose my clients to playground culture, basic foundations of what kids are playing, and then also um, what themes are being played on the playground to educate them. Wow. That's so interesting. So yeah. the organization you mentioned, Connect Us, mm -hmm. this is a nonprofit organization? It's a nonprofit organization. And it, the executive director is Stephanie Schiff. Mm -hmm. um, she is awesome. She's wonderful. She's a parent. Her son um, was diagnosed with autism. And the way we met was I was doing integrated playgroups. Um, when I was doing my dissertation, it's a Pamela Wolfberg model. And okay. what um, it is, is you have a higher ratio of quote unquote typical peers. And you have, so if you have three typical peers and then you'll have two kids, children with autism. And the idea is, is that kids are modeling from their typical peers. Um, and so you always have a higher ratio of typical peers. So Stephanie and I took that concept and we created Connect Us, which um, is an after school program. Mm -hmm. And it not only focuses on kids with autism, but it focuses on kids who struggle socially. So all kids have some sort of social str struggle, even the most social kid. Usually the most social kid um, has to be right. They always have to win games. And when they don't win a game, they have a meltdown because they think they're a failure, a loser. You right. have the kids who are shy, those slow to warm up kids who really are in the background. They don't have much to say, and, but they're observing everything. Then you have, you know, kids that have some sort of, you know, disability or struggle socially that we really teach the other peers how do we include those peers how do we in be inclusive and how do we become compassionate beings and um you know how would you feel if you had no friends and you were walking around lonely on the playground it doesn't feel good so what yeah. we did was we took all these players we started identifying them we matched groups so we had you know the overachiever social kids um the observant kids, the kids who struggle socially, and we put them in a group and we created um, games and different type of problem solving games that forces them to interact, that for forces them to be inclusive, 
And um, it's just a beautiful concept. And so she's taken it, and now um, they do playground facilitation, they do summer camps, and it's all about play and being inclusive. Wow. That's so cool. That's yeah. one of the things, you know, my son, Alex, is in yes. kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And one of the little things that he does every day is he has a little social group. So yeah. some kids will be pulled out and they'll play games or whatever. It's really helped him. I know he just started school in August and already I've been able to see him make such progress. He's a general Yay. mainstream classroom, but he mm -hmm. needs, I mean, if anything, more than anything in the world that he has learned more since he's been in kindergarten, it's been the socialization. Yes, of yes. Because he has peers that he can model from yes. and connect with, with. And, you know, I always encourage parents, find their little buddies that they are drawn to and set up play dates. And sometimes it forces parents out of their comfort zone. I have one client who now um, is a senior and is graduating. And he was a former client. We're, I'm good friends with his family now. But the, the mom isn't very social and it really forced her out of her comfort zone because mm. she had to make play dates, make friends with the mothers to, um, you know, have play dates set up with her son. And he is on the football team. He plays football. He has a great social network of um, friends that he has. And, you know, it all starts, too, with the parents. Like, sometimes you do have to get out of your comfort zone. And sometimes I'll have parents that will say, well, I want my kid to have friends. And I notice that they don't have friends. So yeah. I'm like, well, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, you know, kids uh, model off parents. So if you're not, not very social, your child isn't going to be very social because they're modeling your social cues. Or yes. some parents struggle with play because they want things structured or they can't be animated. And that's out of their comfort zone. And children with autism love animation. The more animated you are, the better because they respond to it. It's a way of getting them to laugh and to connect. And the more that you can laugh together, the positive connections they have with play and with relationships and with people. So it's really important to also be overly animated when you play. Um, so, it, you know, it really, this concept of play and socialization, it really sometimes pushes parents out of their comfort zone. But I, I encourage that because one, it not only helps you grow, but it not only helps your child grow, but it helps you grow as an individual and as an adult because we're constantly evolving and changing. And mm -hmm. it really does push you out of your comfort zone and teaching you things about yourself as well. Gosh, that's so true. I there are so many things that I've had to push myself in yes. just, you know, as a mom, mm -hmm. just as uh just Susan, you know, mm -hmm. human being, but there is so much growth in that. Um I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. What is your viewpoint? I know one of the the biggest things and this is for you know, kiddos on and off the spectrum. Mm -hmm. We have technology now mm -hmm. that has, I, I don't want to call it, I don't want to say it's disrupted some of the, the family life, the family bonding time. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much controversy out there with screen time and mm -hmm. how much time should a child be able to watch cartoons or be on the iPad. And mm -hmm. there are... I. I don't know. I was that mom that before I had a child that said, I, there's not going to, we're not going to have the TV on. There's not going to be any kind of screen time. Um, what I've 
come to find out and that my son does have limited screen time. I don't let, mm -hmm. allow him to just stay on there, but he has been able to, I guess, mimic or mm -hmm. some of the things that he has heard, like in cartoons, like he recently just started using the word awesome. Mm -hmm. And that may have been picked up at school, but one of the little videos that he watches this little boy play video games and this boy says the word awesome a lot. So when, when it comes to socialization and this is even for adults as well, mm -hmm. I feel like we're limiting ourselves from the so socialization opportunities, I guess. Mm -hmm. And how do you see that affecting kiddos that you work with or adults that you work with? Well, here's what I say. Um, we all need our veg time, right? And so my veg time is when I get home from work, I watch reality TV. I do, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's my, I don't have to think. I can just look at people arguing with each other and think how crazy they are. And it's great. Yeah. Same goes for, you know, kids. They do need some downtime. I do. I strongly feel that it should be limited. Um, so, you know, maybe a little bit after school when they get home then, um, you know, make that transition because the transition from screen time to a non-preferred activity is usually when people have meltdowns. Right. So, you know, a lot of times parents use screen time of a couple ways. One is it occupies their child, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it avoids um, meltdowns because when they transition from screen time to a non-preferred activity, they usually have a meltdown and parents don't want to deal with the meltdown. Well, mm -hmm. I think if we teach our kids some structure, so get home from school, maybe set a timer, watch 15, 20 minutes of screen time, great, and then do something else, something that gets them to be social and engaging with a human. Because a lot of times when um, I see children that have a lot of screen time, they're not connected with other humans. And even when they are scripting lines from movies, it's, there's no connection to right. the other human being. So, you know, have the connection, have dinner, have all those things, activities planned or whatever. And then maybe, you know, as a wind down, um, well, I would recommend screen time before bedtime because it usually winds kids up. But I would just limit the time of, of, of usage of screen time. And the other t ways parents use screen time, it's an easy way, to, like a babysitter. You know, right. they're busy doing something and because they can't engage with their child, they feel guilty. So they will let their child watch videos, which is great. I get it. I mean, I, I truly get it, but limit that time as well. So maybe on the weekends, they only get a half hour in the morning, a half hour in the afternoon, 15 minutes in the evening to where right. it's not. And the other thing, there's a double-edged sword here because screen time has been beneficial in the sense that our children do model things from programs. They do, and they'll take it out of context and then apply it to the right context. So I have one client, the reality is the mom's not gonna limit the screen time. She's not. Yeah. So what we do is we've downloaded apps that um, our client can model social appropriate conversations. There's so many apps out there, autism apps that model conversation we download videos that are appropriate for this client to model. So if she is watching screen time, at least she's watching appropriate modeling behavior. We download um, videos of kids playing. We actually take video of her playing at recess or video of her 
doing a brushing your teeth sequence or a video of her in therapy doing conversation questions and we download those so she can watch those over and over again of her. So she's not scripting things that are just random, but she's watching videos that are meaningful to her. Yes. So if you are going to do screen time, I would highly recommend that you video your kid, you know, playing on the playground, even if your kid is just walking, um, mm -hmm. walking the dogs, lining up, whatever your child is engaged in, take video of him and her, him or her, and then download it. So then they're watching videos of themselves doing things that are engaging and appropriate. Um, yes. that, is, that is a really beneficial use of screen time. And In Alex my, loves watching videos of himself. So many children, so many of our kids do. So it's perfect. That's what we discovered, that so many of our kids love watching videos of themselves. So it's perfect. It, it yeah. really is. It's a win-win, you know? Yeah, it was, it was so cool. Alex was in the bathtub the other night. And it's his new favorite thing to put on goggles in the bathtub and uh -huh. look underwater with his little toys and stuff. And he loves that. But he was wanting me to take a video of him putting awesome. his face in the water because he, <laughs> he, you know, I mean, if you think about it, he's putting his face in the water. He can't yes. see what's going on like yes. around his little head. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So he was wanting to see himself in this pile of little bubbles, bubble yeah. water. And he just yeah. got such a kick out of that. And he wanted That's it in so slow great. motion. So then he started giving it. me like editing <laughs> ideas of it. I love it. I love it. And seeing those moments are great to capture on video and then to use a lot of language, you know, like at that point, you can put in a theme of, where is Alex? Because the, yeah. he's going to start scripting that eventually. And then that can be applied to the playground, you know? And so it's all interconnected, if you will. If you, yeah. you just have to have an imagination, really. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So when you're working with these families, so much of what you said you focus on is positivity. And yes. so with the parents, you know, they're and you know, like going back, we don't all have great days. And yeah. so when you're working with the parents um, on the therapy plan, on what that program looks like, what the family dynamics are, um, how do you weave in that positivity? From here's, a therapy standpoint. Here's my, 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 my deal. <laughs> okay. And I'm really, really good at it um, because I, I naturally, instinctually, my mom was extremely positive and it, although it was annoying at times, it really instilled in me the power of positivity. And yeah. so when I get a parent that has any type of negative comments or negativity about their child or about the system, the school system or about therapies or whatever, I say, let's focus on the positive. Let's, let's look at what your child can do. Let's focus on where you want your child to be in three months, where you want your child to be in six months, and let's focus on that. Now, the days that they have those rough days, I, I'm big on reframing. So I'll reframe, look at how far you've come. Because before, he would have been melting down for 40 minutes. And now it's only 10. Look at how great he's able to recover. And I really try to point out the positive, the po what is the positive positivity in the situation. So mm -hmm. if a parent is having a bad day and, you know, and you, um, I think, you know, before we even got on, jumped on, you said something too. And I try to reframe it for you. Like, yeah, we do have, have 
some days, but you know what? That's life. And that's great. And it's great because, you know, without the bad, there doesn't come the good. And it makes you appreciate that good so much more, you yes. know? So I'm really trying to focus on, you know, even if I had a kid that was aggressive, well, you know what? At least he's not biting now. Before he used to bite, now he's just pulling my hair. And I really try to make, I don't want to say a joke or a light of it, but you have to in these moments, you know, because you're dealing with really, really raw stuff. And children with autism, you're dealing with raw emotions. And some days a kid will have a meltdown in a parking lot and fall on the floor. And you're like, really? Like, this is my life, right? Parents are like, and they're embarrassed or they're ashamed or they have guilt. Well, I try and put a spin on it. Like, well, at least he was only on the floor for five minutes instead of 10. It could have been worse, you know, because it, right. it always can be worse. It always can be that much more. Yeah. You know? So really trying to put a spin on it. And then I always, here are my, here are my go-tos. One is find a quote that you like or find several quotes that you like and paste them around your, your house for parents. Like, you're a great parent. You've got this. Take a deep breath. As reminders, as prompts, I call them parent prompts, as prompts mm. that you are doing a great job. You are doing the best. You are the best parent. You are yes. not giving a situation that you cannot handle because I think we need that sometimes. We need that coaching, those reminders that you are doing great. Also for social media, there's so much out there. And mm -hmm. I just recently did this myself that if I started following people that had, had a negative trend, I just yes. started unfollowing them because I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I live this life. I work with, with 30 something clients right now. And I don't mm -hmm. want to hear somebody's negativity about how their child is blah, blah, blah. Who wants to hear that? Nobody wants to hear that. I don't. I yeah. want to hear things that are success stories. And granted, it may be, may pe some people may disagree and may um, think, well, you're living not in reality. Well, no, I am living in reality. And I've, my clientele, I think nothing, when somebody says that my client can't do something, it puts a fire in me to say, I'm going to show you that my client can do it and my client will do it 10 times better than what you thought he could not do or right. he or she could not do. And so I, I have that philosophy of nobody tells me no, we have to be happy. We have to think positive. And, and that's how kids succeed because somebody has to believe in your child yeah. and who's not, who's going to do it, but you. So you have to be your child's advocate. You have to believe in your child and you have to have that fire in you to that when somebody tells you no, or somebody says no, he or she can't do that. No, they will. And I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get them to do that because they will do this to go to college, um, drive, um, you know, re read, write. And I think because of that, I just have that ability to look at a situation and if there's negativity coming out of it, just being able to reframe it and put it in a positive light. So I'm yeah. really big on that. I'm really big on parent prompts, putting them. And then also parents have access to me where they're like, I just need you to, I just need to hear you say, he's going to do it. And I'm like, he's going to do it. And I fully believe in it. And part of it is I believe in it, you know? So I just yeah. say, you're fine he'll do it. He'll be great. Don't worry about it. You know, I have several parents that will call me. I had one just recently call me on a Sunday night and, uh, she was telling me that her son failed her driving test. I'm like, have him take it again. He'll pass. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah. It's not a big deal. 
I failed mine my first time. Don't worry about it. How many people have? I mean, my goodness. Yeah. So I just really, I just, that's, I'm just their cheerleader. And that instinctually just is in me. Um, So I always encourage families to find therapists or professionals that believe in your child. Because Mm -hmm. if you have naysayers all the time, you can kind of go down that path. You know? Absolutely. I mean, and we have all been sat in doctor's offices or yes. whatever saying, I just don't know if your child will ever do this. Yes. Your child's not going to be able to do this. And for those of us, and there are a lot of us in this community that are mama and papa bears that yes. will just start pulling out claws and yes. saying, you know, no, no one's going to say that my child's not going to be able to do that because they may not be able to do that on the milestone that you have mm-hmm. on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. but they will do it. They will do um, it. And just having that belief and, you know, those bad days will get you there. And it makes yeah. you appreciate because, you know, when you look in the like I'm sure with your son, Alex, he, from two months ago, I'm sure he's a different kid than what he is today. Yeah. Two, two months from now, he's going to be different. And to constantly keep that in mind, because sometimes when we're in the thick of things, um, it's, you know, it's just harder to see the progress or to see, you know, the little achievements. But when you have an outsider coming in, looking, look from the outside, looking in, I can see the, all the achievements and, and to remind parents, like, remember where he was a year ago? Like he could, yeah. he was struggling with this and now he's doing this. Like, it's amazing to see. And yeah. you know, when you put things in perspective, it, it, you can kind of shift a little bit is what I say. Yeah. I, I like the reframing. I like the shifting. We are constantly having to do that every single day in our yes. ordinary lives. You know, yes. if there's a traffic jam on one street, then what do we do? We try to take a side street mm-hmm. to go around it. And so it's just constantly trying to find that plan B or plan C or reframing. It's a whole state of mind. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I feel like we it's, we have to have that support system. And so for those moms or those parents to reach out to you and just say, Hey, listen, I just need to hear someone else say it. Mm-hmm. I've looked at the post-it note on my bathroom mirror telling me that I'm awesome, mm-hmm. but I just want someone else to tell me. And sometimes that is all that it takes. Yeah, to that's all that it takes. Keep you going. Yeah. And, and so I'm that person for my clients. I, you know, text them, check, you know, because we become family to our clients. We oh, do. Absolutely. I mean, I've kept my clients, I mean, some of them going on 10, 15 years now. Um, you know, so the clients that I do have, they become family and we become not only therapists, but more like life coaches, not only for the child or clients, but for the family as well. We really get to know these families intimately. Um, and, it, and that's what's so rewarding. And it's so rewarding to watch them grow as well. But just having that one person in your life that you can go to that gets it, that understands it, that there's no judgment. The other thing too is that there's so much judgment out there. Um, you know, if, the, if your child has a meltdown in public, you're not a good mom or whatever. So, you know, th- that you can go to because sometimes family members are judgmental. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not one person that goes to that they can say, I really do not like my child right now. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, it's okay not to like your child at times. It's okay to not want to be a mom. It's okay to not want to be a parent. It's okay to 
not like autism. You, you, you're allowed those feelings, you know, and to yeah. acknowledge it. And, but then I'm there also to help remind, like, look at how far you've come as a mom. Look at how far you've grown. Before you wouldn't even do this. Before you would be embarrassed or ashamed to say those things, you know. And so just really, you know, pointing out and having that person. And if you don't have that person in your life, find a person like that. Oh, yeah. Even they're out there. Friend. Yeah. They're, they're out there. But that is key to help reframe and also just the people that you hang out with and and like I said like social media can be a curse and a blessing mm -hmm. you know to follow people that are inspirational my my Instagram now is full of just positive quotes and pugs because I love pugs <laughs> and literally I look at my pugs I get my pug fix I look at quotes to help me you know reframe things for me you know as, as an individual and I'm so happy. And ever since I changed my Instagram, I am so happy. I'm like, oh, this is great. I, 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 and then it makes me not want to be on social media that much and be more connected with people. Yeah. Um, so that's the beautiful thing about that. But, you know, and then I surround myself around people who make me laugh. You know, I love to laugh. I think laughter is so important in life and I don't think we do it enough. And so mm -hmm. during my downtime, I'm with amazing, strong women that I surround myself with that we laugh and we have a good time and we play and we're in our forties and we play and we have a oh, good yeah. time. So I just really um, am a big um, believer in who you surround yourself with is who you become. Absolutely. But I grew up, my mom said it almost every single day of our life, birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. There have been a couple of people and they haven't been close friends, but people that I've followed on Twitter or whatever. And it, and it is. It's just that they're the Debbie Downers, the yeah. negative Nancys. And yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, is there anything good right. at all in your life? Surely there is. So it, it is. And I, I have gone through several personal changes within the last couple of years and have found myself at, at, in kind of the pit sometimes. But I tell you what, I have made a very intentional effort of surrounding myself with some of the very best people mm -hmm. and some of the, just the friendliest and most giving people. And I tell you what, those, those are the people that will build you up. Yes. And not even intentionally. No. They're just positive mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself becoming more positive. Yes, you in do. all of it. Yes. It just everyone, you feed off of those those good vibes and that positivity. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so helpful. It is. So that's what I do. I, I really encourage parents to surround themselves around, you know, positive people or, you know, and sometimes when we get into the realm of autism or, you know, any type of like support group, a lot of it is complaining about, oh, my child did this or, oh, my child is doing this. And sometimes that's not beneficial. So, um, sometimes those groups are, are beneficial in a way, but sometimes they're not because you hear negative right. story after negative story. And I've had parents tell me, I don't want to go to those groups because they kind of bring me down. I'm like, so don't right. focus on something else. Create your own group, yeah. Create your own book club, you know, and read, you know, inspiring books, you know? And, and so, you know, if you're around that, I think it, you're right. It does bring you down in that energy and that flow. You know, I'm having surgery on um, February 5th coming up. And I, I've been very selective about who I've told because, mm -hmm. you know, who you tell affects, you know, things. And I'll be fine. I know I'll be fine. 
Yeah. And I had the mistake of accidentally t- it slipped and I told a friend and she had very similar surgery and she was like, Oh, you're going to be in so much pain. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, I am the healthiest I've ever been. This has been a two year long journey for me and I'm going to be great. I mean, I'm even having a party to celebrate it this Saturday. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, where I'm just like, you know, be cautious of who you tell or what you tell. Yep. And then also have that mind frame of if somebody's going to come back and tell you your child can't do ABC. Nope, that's not true. They're going to do it, you know, and to have that. And literally I said, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to be in pain. It'll be, it's going to be great. I'm fine. And because that's my mindset around it. And I think if we have more and more of these conversations and having that mindset, it's not denial. It's me believing. And because what you believe also affects your body. Yeah. that you can do it. And kids feel that. And especially kids on the spectrum, they have this innate, they're nonverbal, you know, they're not like expressing emotion like us. So they have that sixth sense of, they know who likes them and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have kids will behavior out with professionals that they know who don't like them. And I know who don't like them. And so they know like who believes in them, who connects with them, and they're going to do well for those people that believe in them, but people that don't believe in them, they're going to be like, screw you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to even engage with you. And so, you know, our kids do have like that sixth sense where they do sense that underlying feeling of, do you believe in me? Do you not? Do you like me? Do you not? You know? Sure. Absolutely. I think positive talk is so, we want to fill their heads with, with the positivity. So oftentimes I hear just like kind of in the background, the way some parents talk to their kids, Mm -hmm. you know, or saying the word shut up. Yeah. And, And so that, those two words are probably the two biggest words that I hate hearing a parent say to their child for one it's just it you're you're just saying to your child that nothing that they're they're saying is valid but secondly they just don't understand how many of us parents have yearned for their child to say something at all Mm -hmm. and so to hear a parent telling their child to shut up when you are craving to hear your child say anything is just so, so frustrating. <laughs> yes, 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 it is, it is. But, um, but I think it's, it's all of like the nature versus nurture, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, those, those parents usually have grown up with that very same things, but we have to be the ones that change that tide, mm-hmm. you know, um, and working and filling our kiddos with the positive stuff. So yes. if there's, if there's one thing, and I know we're running out of time, but if there's yeah. one thing that, you know, you would like to share with the community, parents, providers, whatever, what would that one thing be that you want to leave people with? Never, never place limits on a child ever. Mm-hmm. No matter what age they are, um, we, we've worked with some older um, adolescents that were considered quote unquote nonverbal. And um, we've just had one that ran his first uh, 5K. So, wow. placing limits on, you know, my quote is autism has no limits, and it truly doesn't have any limits. So, I think the worst thing that you can do for a child is to predict what their future is going to be and to place limits on them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's limitless. 
And so my advice for any parent or professional, even professionals out there, is to let's look at to see what our three month three months goals for a child and then what are six months goals for a child and then also find what what a child likes like start tapping into their interests because it's those interests that are going to turn into hobbies for them that are going to turn into jobs for them yes so really start honing in on what their interests are and um and then honing in on that and then never ever place limit. I think placing limits on a child is abusive. I do. And yeah. um, to say that a child will never talk or will never do this or will live in an institution, you know, autism is relatively new. We don't really know a lot about it still. As much as we know about it, as much as we don't know about it. And so to place limits for any professional parent to place limits on a child, I think is abusive. And um, because mm -hmm. how would you like it if somebody said, yeah, you can't do that. Sorry. You're just not capable. I mean, how would that make you feel internally? Right. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's my takeaway is, that's awesome. is don't place limits. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. Um, one we should remind ourselves not only yes. for our children, our loved ones on the spectrum, but also for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Um, so been amazing speaking with you for everyone oh, that's interested. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give all of your, your bio um, information in the show notes as well as all of the, like the links to your, your social platforms and podcasts Great. and stuff. So well, thank everyone... you, Susan. You know, it's, it's fun being on the other end. Of, <laughs> yeah. You know, Cause a lot of people don't know um, my background or my story. I do, when I do my podcast, I interview a lot. Yeah. And I don't share a lot of my background and my story. So it's been a pleasure to be able to share my story, my passions. You know, I work in the field. Like I'm going to see a client today, two clients, three clients today, you know. So I'm in the field. I'm in the trenches. And a lot of um, people don't know that. But I work. I have my practice. I work. I train. I train therapists. I, I do a lot. I'm in the field in the trenches. So I see a lot of it on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah. it's fun to, to be able to share my passion and Absolutely. to share my experience with you. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, everyone, uh, check Dr. Annette Nunez out. And it was, again, a pleasure having you. And thank you. thanks for being a part of my autism tribe. Yes. As Dr. Nunez has stated, success for me is not what I can do for your child. Success is when parents trust and support the process, no matter how hard it can be. Success is when I have the privilege to watch my clients realize their full potential and have a positive outlook on life and their future. Rather than focusing on the negatives that you may hear, like your child will never, your child can't, etc., try focusing on the positives. Thanks so much for being a part of my autism tribe, and I hope to see you next week.